All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today we're wrapping up the ultimate divisional crossover week by looking at the other two divisions that the NFC South teams will be facing this year in the NFC North and AFC West, talking about some possible rule changes like the expansion to 17 games and showing a little bit of love on this Valentine's Day to the various top players in the NFC South. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. Been covering the Falcons for many years. I'm on Twitter at Falcons, and of course, the host of this preeminent Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. And today is day five of our ultimate divisional crossover week podcast, where I am joined by the other hosts of the various Locked On NFC South podcasts, including Ross Jackson of Locked On Saints, David Harrison of Locked On Bucks, and Bill Rossetti of Locked On Panthers. And we've been going at this all week, breaking down each team in the NFC South and today on this Valentine's Day episode we will expand our outlook to the NFC North and AFC West the two divisions that the NFC South teams will be facing in 2020 we'll be looking ahead to some of the various rule changes surrounding the negotiations for the new collective bargaining agreement focusing quite a bit on the possible expansion to a 17 game season talking about Monday Night Football we'll get our Booker McFarland takes on today's episode And at the end of the show, we'll be showing a little bit of love on Valentine's Day for each of one of us taking one player from each of the other three teams in the NFC South, as well as one impending free agent that is actually a realistic possibility. And um, that's what's in store for you. It's going to be a long one, guys, uh, you know, in a full hour of, of excellent content to wrap up the week. We saved the best for last. So we'll jump right into that coming up. And then I'll be back at the end to give you a little outro and, and sort of some final thoughts on this ultimate divisional crossover and what's going to be coming up next on next week's shows. Okay, let's jump right into it, guys. All right, NFC South fans, welcome back to the final day here at the Locked On Podcast Network Ultimate Divisional Crossover. You're locked in right now with myself, Ross Jackson of Locked On Saints, as well as three of the hosts from around the NFC South, all the experts covering all the teams in the division and we've talked about each of the four different teams already so far this week you stuck with us throughout it now it's time to have a little bit of fun we're going to look at three main things throughout this episode but before i tell you what they are let me have my friends introduce themselves so you know who you're hearing throughout the show hey guys this is aaron freeman the host of locked on falcons and of course you guys can check me out on twitter at falcfans David Harrison here, one of the hosts of the Locked On Bucks podcast. You can find me on Twitter at dh82 underscore bucks. And then, of course, over at bucksnation.com. And Bill Rossetti of Locked On Panthers. Of course, follow me at Bill underscore Rossetti. And, of course, you've got Ross Jackson here at, from Locked On Saints at Ross Jackson ASC. So we're closing out the week today on a happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, guys, of course. Happy Valentine's Day to you and yours, your family. Uh, we're going to start off today 
with, or we're going to go out throughout the day with three different topics here. We're going to start off first taking a look at the AFC West and the NFC North. Of course, those are the two divisions that the NFC South will be playing. So you have your division games, you have your games with the other teams within the conference that are at the same place within their division as you, and then you have two other divisions. And in this case, for the NFC South this year, it's AFC West, NFC North. How do these NFC South teams match up against those divisions? Then we'll talk about a few of the kind of wild things that might be going on with this new CBA that is uh, set to be done within, uh, I guess, within the next season. And then going into the 2021 season, we're talking 17 game season and a bunch of other new wrinkles and additions you'll get our opinions on. And then we'll wrap up It is Valentine's Day after all with something a little Valentine's Day themed one player from each team that we absolutely love that we could take no holds barred and then one player from each team that we would take to our teams uh, through free agency. So actual uh, actual possibilities uh, in that one. And so we'll go through all of that here on this ultimate divisional crossover episode to close out the week. Happy Valentine's Day. Thank you so much for being here with us on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, let's jump into the conversation about the NFC South versus AFC West, NFC North. Uh, how do you feel the NFC South ranks amongst – we could talk about how they rank amongst the NFL. We could talk about how they match up against these two different conferences. Of course, in the AFC West, you have the uh, Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs. You have the uh, Los Angeles Chargers, not-so-Super Bowl champions, of course. They were at the bottom of their division. You've got the Oakland Raiders and the Denver Broncos. And then in the NFC North, of course, you have the long history franchises there of the Bears, Packers, Vikings, as well as the Lions. So when you look at these opponents, how do you feel that the NFC South matches up? Well, for me, I, I look at the NFC South, and I think over the last several years, we've all sort of been of a mindset that the NFC South from top to bottom was one of the toughest, most competitive divisions in the entire NFL. I don't think they quite lived up to that reputation in 2019. I feel like the NFC North and the NFC West, at least as far as the National Football Conference is concerned, seem to be sort of creeping up and and potentially taking that mantle. Um, As far as the AFC is concerned, I wouldn't necessarily put the AFC West in the top of my rankings, but they have the Chiefs, so, you know, they have the best team. So I I guess, but from, you know, I I question, I guess, the the Chargers and the Raiders and, and the Broncos at this point in time. But I think relatively speaking, you know, they're, they're pretty evenly matched. I think the, the North, probably would take it if I was ranking those three divisions just because I think they have, you know, two sort of teams in in Minnesota and Green Bay that people think are sort of perennial uh, playoff teams. And then you have a a team like the Bears, who a lot of people went into this past season with really high expectations and were wondering to see if they sort of bounce back. But I think if if I were to give the NFC North a nod in in sort of my power rankings, um, it's only slightly – just because I think they're coming off of a better season in 2019 than the NFC South. But I do feel like the South is, is better from top to bottom than the AFC West. But obviously, you know, the Chiefs are sort of the standout in that division. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think all three of the divisions kind of look very similar in, in a few senses where there's a lot of quarterback questions. I mean, the, if, you, if you look around across the board, I mean, the Vikings, the Saints, the Chargers, uh, the, the Panthers, um, the Bears, the Lions, the Raiders – 
the Buccaneers all, I mean, they all have quarterback questions, you know, uh, to varying degrees, obviously, depending on the team. And then uh, two of the three divisions that we're talking about are, are very top heavy, where you've got kind of one team that is leading the pack. And then the rest of them, there's kind of a gap between two, three and four uh, trailing behind one with the Packers and the Vikings really being the only two that are representing a division that are kind of tightly contested. So there's, there's some similarities, some similarities between the three divisions, I think, in, in those aspects. And I think I would agree with Aaron. I think I'd put the NFC North at the top of the, the list of those three. And then probably the NFC South might be a little bit of bias there. Um, and then I think the AFC West is, is in third. But I think second and third are, are closer than maybe first and second at this point. Of course, who's playing quarterback for, you know, uh, three of the four teams in the in the NFC South will help determine a lot of the strength of those teams. So, yeah, and I'm kind of in the same boat. I mean, you look at, uh, I, and I'm in agreement that these divisions are all kind of similar. You know, it's definitely uh, top heavy across all three. Obviously, the AFC West, you know, have uh, the Super Bowl champion Chiefs, who are kind of far and away really the the best team in that division. Uh, the other teams, you know, obviously two of them now have big questions at the quarterback position, the Raiders and the Chargers. The Broncos, you know, they've kind of figured out their quarterback situation. They seem pretty set with Drew Locke, but they've got some pieces they got they've got to figure out there, you know, with the uh they've got to work on the offensive line. They need some uh receiver help and then maybe tweak the defense a little bit. But there's there is some talk that they could be a potential rising team next season. They're they're starting to become uh, one of the sleeper teams next year. So Denver is going to be an intriguing team. And then the NFC North, you know, obviously uh, Detroit's on the bottom. Uh, they they really got to get that defense figured out. The, that defense is just atrocious last season and a big reason why they lost 11 of their last 12. But they decided to bring back Matt Patricia and, and Bob Quinn. So this is a big season for them because they know they're on the chopping block. The Bears have quarterback questions now as well. You know, what's the future of, Mitchell Trubisky. Hey, by the way, did you guys hear that they could have had uh, Patrick Mahomes or uh, Deshaun Watson? I don't know if you guys heard that or not before. (laughs) (laughs) So really going to be interested to see what they do if they bring a veteran to kind of compete with Trubisky. And then you got, you know, the two top teams, obviously, the Packers and the Vikings. Uh, But, you know, the Packers, we're not really talking about them as a team with uh, questions at quarterback positions. But we are seeing a decline in Aaron Rodgers, so we're starting to wonder how much time he actually has left. But overall, uh, it's, it's a really good Packers team. We saw that defense just dominate all season long, and it was a big reason why they you know, won 13 games, got to the NFC title game, um, because they had, you know, the you might as well call them the Smith brothers. They're obviously not related, but they're two of the biggest reasons why Green Bay had such a great season. So, you know, it's, it's a lot of uh, a lot of strong teams in this division, but like Dave said, a lot of teams with uh, some quarterback questions. So, you know, there's going to be some intriguing matchups, I think. Certainly uh, when the Saints and Packers play each other, that's always a fun game. Uh, Saints and Chiefs, uh, the Super Bowl we thought we were going to get in really each of the last two years, we thought it was a good possibility. So that'll, that'll be fun to see those two meet up. And then the Raiders, I mean, they're going to Vegas. Uh, everyone's excited about that. Uh, really going to be intrigued what kind of uh, what kind of splash they make when they uh, when they start there. So you definitely have some some interesting divisions that uh, the NFC South is going to take on a lot of good matchups coming. I think. 
Yeah, I think this one's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to take a moment to make an argument in favor of the NFC South as the best of these three divisions. And here's the way that I look at it. When you look over the last few seasons, you look at, let's say, the AFC West, which I think we can eliminate pretty easily because to me, the AFC West is the weakest of the three divisions, even though they have the Super Bowl champion. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs there. But the fact of the matter is that the only team within that division that's been competitive over the last three years outside of the Kansas City Chiefs has been the San Diego slash Los Angeles Chargers. And they no longer have a quarterback to their name at this moment. They're going through big transitions and everything as well at sort of the, the, the guard for them, you know, changes the guard for them. And so when I look at the San Diego Chargers or the, I'm sorry, the Los Angeles Chargers as being the second best team there, and then you consider, you know, the Denver Broncos, who, true, they've they've found a really nice quarterback in Drew Locke. The uh, now Las Vegas Raiders are going through a little bit of a relocation, not a little bit, a pretty big relocation. And then they're going to have a little bit of changes going on with their organization. Uh, they'll probably find some way to waste another early draft pick on a guy like Cullen Farrell, much like they did last season. And so when you look at that division, to me, it's just too top heavy. And so when you look at the top two teams in that division, over the last three seasons, which have been the, um, the, the, the Chiefs and the Chargers. I think that the, that the Saints and the Falcons, the top two teams in the NFC South are better than those top two teams. And then you look at the bottom two teams for them and the bottom two teams this past season in the NFC South. I think that the Bucks and the Panthers can be better than the, um, let's just say the Raiders and the, and the Broncos. Now, when I go over to the, NFC North. It's a little tougher to make a case for the NFC South there, but here's my thing. Um, I can't trust the second place Minnesota Vikings team to do anything while Kirk Cousins is their quarterback. I never really truly believed in the Green Bay Packers this season. That defense looked really, really good at times. And at other times, they just got completely gashed by the run games and the, the big games they let up on the ground. And then, you know, Bill, as you mentioned, the big question mark that is what the hell's going on with Aaron Rodgers, plus just the lack of weapons over on the offensive side outside of Devontae Adams, who sometimes struggles to stay on the field. And then Aaron Jones, who I think was really solid. He helped me get to a fantasy football championship this year, which was pretty dope. But I can make the same case, I feel, when I look at the Saints and Falcons. I think that they are better than the Packers and the and the Vikings. And then looking at the uh, Bucks and the Panthers, I can look at the Lions and Bears, oh my, and say that I truly believe that the Panthers and Bucks can be better than those teams. It's a little tougher for the Panthers right now because there is a bit of a reconstruction. But again, all of this kind of comes down to the many, many quarterback questions that exist amongst these three different divisions as well. So this could completely be turned on its head. But if I'm going to make a case for the NFC South to be on top, then that that would be my purpose. I think that individually, when you look over the teams or you pair off the top two, bottom two, or even best and worst, I would still put the NFC South above these other two divisions. Now, I'm happy to completely give over and say it's the NFC North, NFC South, and then the AFC West. I think clearly the AFC West at the bottom for me just because of what the wealth of that division is. But to me, it's a little bit of a one, one, two sort of, you could flip it around situation to me for the NFC South and the NFC North, but I'm happy to make a case in favor of the NFC South. Yeah, I'm buying it. I'm in. I'm talking about this is all about love. It's Valentine's Day. Damn it. I'm about the NFC South being on top right now do y'all have any other thoughts on the uh the division is there a game against one of these guys that y'all are you know whether it be with with the team that you cover or any of the other teams within the division against either either of these divisions that you're most excited to see 
Uh, I mean, I think personally for the Buccaneers, I think the Chiefs, you know, going to Ray J is is going to be a big one, and then the Raiders. I mean, going up against John Gruden is just that's that's the storylines are going to write themselves. So I think those are probably the two that I'm most looking forward to. If mm-hmm. Philip Rivers actually lands in Tampa, then obviously the Chargers game carries a little bit more significance. Um, so so maybe two or three that, that I'm really excited to see. For me, you know, obviously. You know, testing your medal against the the world champion Kansas City Chiefs is obviously going to be something that you look forward to. But I think it's interesting because you guys talked about sort of the quarterback question marks. It looks like a lot of these teams in these other two divisions are more going to be driven by their defense than necessarily having these high potent offenses. With the Chiefs being one obvious ex- exception, and so I, I know at least for the Falcons where when we talked about this earlier in the week where, you know, a big question mark is whether or not they can get their offense on track under David's favorite offensive coordinator, Derek Cutter. Um, it's going to be one of, of those things time. where, yes, of all time. And um, it's going to be one of those things where, like, they're not going to necessarily get a cupcake schedule for this offense given some of the defenses that they're going to face. And it's not like every one of these teams in, in the league is like, oh, this is the best defense in the league, but you do have teams like Minnesota and Chicago, and, you know, Detroit isn't necessarily a great defense, but they have a defensive-minded coach. Green Bay's defense has improved. Um, The Chargers have a very formidable front and whatnot. We know Vic Fangio in in Denver is is more of a defensive-driven guy. So certainly the Falcons, if they can't get their offense on point, you know, this could be a, a pretty tough schedule for them because they're going to be facing a lot of, you know, at least capable defenses that are going to, you know, look forward to, you know, going toe-to-toe with the Falcons' offense and their playmakers and see if they can sort of keep them uh, contained and and limited. So I think it's going to be some very interesting matchups, at least for the Falcons this year. Yeah, and on the Panthers' side, I mean, you know, the obvious – I think the obvious answer, too, like like you guys are talking about, is the Chiefs. You know, the Panthers will be – going to Arrowhead next season. So, you know, it's always exciting to get a chance to test yourself against the Super Bowl champs. You know, on paper, I, th- I think this could be a, a bit of a runaway for the, the Chiefs. So I'm a little worried as of now, you know, things can change, obviously. But uh, with that, that's definitely going to be their, their toughest game. You know, they go to Lambeau again, too. It's, it's always always intriguing to, to go to Lambeau. And it's, especially here with the – I'll even give a shout-out to some of the other locked-on guys here. So it's always fun to to chat with Peter as well when the when our teams play the Packers. So that'll be that'll be another crossover I'm looking forward to. And then, you know, I, I know it's not either of these divisions. It's one of those, you know, other conference games in your division. But, I, I mean, I think without a doubt the – one of the biggest games Panthers fans have to be looking forward to is the meeting in Washington against the Redskins because, of course, Ron Rivera is now the head coach there. So there's there's no doubt that uh, there's going to be a lot of love in that game, you know, maybe some tears shed. Uh, Ron Rivera facing his former team. You know, again, it is in Washington. But 21, uh, Washington actually goes to Carolina. So Rivera – will be heading to Carolina, but being in the visitor's locker room that year. So that's going to be – those are going to be some fun games. So outside of – like I said, we're not talking about uh, the two divisions, but you can definitely argue that that's going to be the most – the matchup most looking forward to 
for the Panthers. But with, with these divisions, like I said, uh, a couple good road trips to Arrowhead and to Lambeau. Uh, they go out to Los Angeles. I think that's, that's always a fun time. And then I mentioned the Broncos. I think the Broncos are an up-and-coming team. So uh, there's definitely a lot of games here that I think the Panthers can uh, will have a chance to test where they're at. Like I said, I don't expect too much from them in 2020, but at least they'll get a chance to have some some really tough competition this season. It's definitely a, a tough schedule. Yeah. Uh, the ones that I'm really looking forward to most for New Orleans, uh, look, the Saints out of the eight teams within those two divisions, AFC West, NFC North, three of them were playoff teams, and the Saints get to host all three of them in the Superdome, which I think is going to be a lot of fun. That's the Green Bay Packers, the Minnesota Vikings, and the Kansas City Chiefs. Of course, the Minnesota Vikings would be a bit of a revenge game for the wild card loss that the Saints suffered early on in the playoffs. Playing against Green Bay is always fun. And uh, Bill, I, I echo your statement. One of my favorite things about playing against the Green Bay Packers is that I get to do an episode with Peter, and that dude is so incredibly smart. So I look forward to that as well. Uh, and then, of course, hosting the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs is also going to be huge. And then we get a rematch as well at home to watch the Saints take on the San Francisco 49ers as well, who, you know, is not, you know, they're the NFC West, but all of these playoff teams that the Saints get to host in 2020 are very, very exciting. And three of them come from those two divisions. So that's going to be a ton of fun to be able to see that at home. Uh, in the dome off Porter Street. So, all right, y'all, uh, coming up next, we're going to take a look at some of the CBA rules, get our thoughts on the 17-game season, as well as some of the other wacky things that may be going on as the upcoming CBA change bears down on the NFL. We got that coming up for you next right here on this Locked On Podcast Network Ultimate Divisional Crossover, the final day here on Valentine's Day. All right, y'all, we are here to take a look now at some of this CBA conversation. So, guys, a couple of the things that have been really interesting that we've been hearing whispers about, or I guess it's really, I guess we could say it's more than whispers at this point, but some of the conversation around this has become um, the 17-game season. So let's start there. There's a couple of other smaller ones that we'll try to get to as well, but the 17-game season, I think, is the hottest top. excuse me, the hottest topic right now. So let's talk a little bit about that. When it comes to the idea of a 17-game season for your team, how do you feel? Like, Do you like that idea of expanding the product? Do you, do you get concerned about the potential rise in injuries? Uh, it's certainly good for TV and, and, and marketing and all of that and the TV deals and the potential skyrocket that it could bring to money. But what are your thoughts on the 17-game season? Uh, Bill, let's start with you on this one. Yeah, that, that's tough for me. You know, I'm fine with the... Uh game schedule you know if it goes to if it goes to 17 then so be it uh, I, I get obviously why they're going to do it um, they definitely need to show that they actually care about the player safety which there's been plenty of times that they kind of show that they don't so I would be perfectly fine if they stay with 16 I think it's a good balance because the question comes up too I think what do you do with that 17th game? You know, do you play it at a neutral site? Uh, are you going to play more overseas games? You know, is it going to be an extra game in London? You know, how's that going to work? I saw rumbling that they might, they might consider something where say, uh, say one team gets nine home games next year and then eight the following year, they might try something like that on a rotation. So I really don't know what direction they would go in if they decide to go 
with the 17 game schedule. So like I said, I, I would not be opposed to staying with 16. And ultimately I, I think I kind of believe that, uh, that it's going to stay at 16. I think the players might stand firm with, uh, with what they want, knowing that, like I said, the NFL at times definitely shows that they you know, and it sucks saying that they don't care about safety, but, you know, some of the stuff leads you to believe that they're just kind of in it for the entertainment and the money, and that's the only reason they're doing the 17th game. So if, if they go to 17, then so be it. If they stay at 16, I think that's perfectly fine, too. And, you know, I think we'll – I'm also interested in what they do as, as far as the playoffs are concerned, too, because there's rumors that they will uh, – they'll also expand the playoff field to – 14 teams so i think that would be uh pretty interesting i I think that would be pretty interesting as well if they they go to 14 but uh yeah i'm perfectly fine if they stay with 16 games um for me you know i i've said talking with other people that you know cover this sport and whatnot i've joked with them that you know part of covering the nfl is they make decisions and we all collectively complain about them And I think expanding to 17 games would be another one, which is the millionth decision that the NFL has made seemingly this decade or over the last decade now that we're in a new one in 2020. Um, You know, I'm not for the the league expanding them, but I'm also not against it because I remember recently I had a a listener on Locked on Falconson in the question talking um, about some changes to the league rules and whatnot. And I sort of responded that like when I started watching football in the nineties and there was constant league expansion and divisional alignments and and certain things. And I think his question was specifically about realigning the divisions and, and doing away with divisions. And sort of, I kind of responded to it where I was like, I grew up, the league was constantly changing in the nineties and and with new teams and whatnot. And sort of, they did the realignment in 2002 and they've been kind of stagnant these last couple of years. And just for the sake of having some change, I'm kind of in favor of the league doing things to shake things up. I don't know if expanding the 17 games would be the way that I would like to see that done, but it's one of those things where there's a lot of decisions that the NFL has made over recent years that I think all of us have been collectively critical of, and I think this would be another one. But the point I'm trying to get across is, like, it's kind of par for the course. So if it happens, it'll happen. But at least currently right now with all the the way the winds seem to be blowing, it doesn't seem like it's a likely outcome. But it certainly seems clear that, you know, there may be some of those changes that I'm talking about whether it's, you know, 17 games or, or something else that seemed to be on the horizon with this new CBA being negotiated. It looks like the, the owners, at the very least, are, are going to try to get something major as far as that, and whether that's expanding the regular season or expanding the playoff field, we'll have to sort of see, or, or is it something else? But um, I'm very curious to see how that goes, and ultimately I'm very curious to see how we wind up complaining about it regardless of how it goes. Uh, I mean, generally speaking, like to me, more football is good football, but meaningful football is better football. Um, so like, if you're at a 17th game, you know, I can see the allure to that. But I would think 
that you can't make that move singularly. Like there's got to be a couple of other things that happen. It's kind of like getting a bill passed through Congress and all that. Like it's, it might be called the clean water act, but in there, there's a couple of other stipulations that happen uh, along the way to kind of make it work. Uh, well, the plan is to make it work. Right. Um, so, so just kind of like my good idea fairy going off is, you know, if you add a 17th game, then you reduce the preseason to two games. So you're telling the players, you give us one meaningful game that counts and we get rid of, two of the preseason games that don't count as far as record is concerned. But then the players also give, okay, we'll keep training camp the same length. And in those two training camps or in those two preseason games uh, to keep the league money and the TV stuff going, you alternate them. So, you know, maybe the NFC South and the AFC West match up for a preseason or what have you, and they play week one and then the other divisions play week two. And then we play again week three, they play week four. So that the NFL has four weeks of preseason games to advertise, put on TV, get butts and seats, so on and so forth. But the players are only playing two per preseason. And what that also does, it opens up the opportunity because most coaches, and I know Bruce Arians was big about this, this last training camp, is you get more value out of the joint practices than you do the actual game. Because in the game, you're not actually doing a lot of scheme-specific things. You're not going to give away a lot of things for other teams to watch you do that you're going to do in the regular season. Whereas in joint practices, you can do that because, you know, you guys know there's periods of the practice where you're literally told no photography, no cameras, don't give away formations, you know, so on and so forth. And I actually kind of remember there was a jet sweep that the Buccaneers ran with Chris Godwin uh, that now I can say we saw that practiced over and over and over and over again in camp. It didn't come out. So I want to say it was like week four of the regular season when it came out. The, you know, the commentators in the booth are saying, oh, you know, we've seen them run that play in practice and we're waiting on it and da da da, da. So that's kind of what you talk about. Like in the joint practices against the Dolphins, they were able to practice things like that. But you never saw it in the preseason. You never saw it in the regular season until they had a moment where they wanted to unveil it. And that's the advantage of those joint practices. Um, so something like that. And then to kind of offset, because, you know, obviously one, one group of teams is going to be playing that fourth week. And the complaint, I guess, would be, well, we're going into – two back-to-back games with the first week of the season. So you insert a bye week in there, push training camp back a week. That gives football starting a week earlier, which is going to make fans happier. It's going to make us happier and our jobs easier, right? Um, but then everybody in the NFL has that week, that bye week, to kind of rest their bones from the preseason, from training camp, before the season gets started. Now you have a better product because you've got healthier players, healthier rosters, guys who might have missed week one but returning week two. Now they're returning in week one. And basically the deal you make is every other year you'll alternate. So if the Buccaneers get that double bye week because they play their second game earlier next week, they're playing the last week of the preseason. So they only get the one bye week. Whereas say the Falcons who get the one bye week this week will get the double bye week next year. I don't know if that makes any sense, but to me, that's, that's kind of the give and take that I would like to see the NFL and the players association make if they're going to add a 17th game. I like that a lot. And it kind of goes hand in hand a bit with what I'm thinking too, is that if you're going to add a 17th game, which I think we're all in agreement seems unlikely, at least at this juncture within the contract negotiations or within the the CBA. Uh, but when it comes to adding a 17th game, I think you also add a second bye week and then it ends up stretching 17 games per team, but it goes over 19 weeks of the regular season as opposed to 16 games over 17 weeks. And so it just extends your product a little bit more. And I think that that is something that a lot of TV networks would buy into. And that's something that sort of helps to offset the ad- offset the additional game, which would be to have the additional bye week. And the other thing that I'd like to see if they did do this and that I think would help 
teams and players feel a little bit more comfortable with doing it is uh, expanding the roster limit. Instead of it being a 53-man roster with a 46-game-day roster, it could be a 53-man game-day roster with a 59-day, um, with a 50, let's say, uh, like a 50 or a 60 uh, man roster limit. And so you add a couple of, uh, of bodies there, which you can offset by the additional salary cap that your team is going to pick up with additional revenue with additional games. And then you increase the health and the rotation on these teams. Now, does it have to be an addition of seven players? No, not necessarily. It could be, you know, a, a 49 man uh, game day roster with a 56 uh, man roster limit, whatever that is. I think that that those two ideas of adding the bye week, much like you mentioned, David, uh, but also extending the roster limit, which is something that I think a lot of NFL coaches and owners would agree kind of needs to happen anyway, especially that game day roster in the least. Uh, I think that that would be, or those would be two sort of compromises that you could make in order to do the thing that would be most helpful for the NFL and the ownership, which would be to add that seventh game, a 17th game and get more revenue coming into your organization and to, and within the league, you know, the absolute league office uh, on its own. So those are two things that I would also like to see happen as well as some adjustments to preseason, as you mentioned, David. And I think that when it comes to that additional 17th game and the odd split in terms of home and uh, away games, then I think that, you know, you alternate home and away by that additional game every year. And then if a team is playing an international game, then you don't sacrifice a home game with that instead of having, you know, nine away games, seven home games, and then an additional um, international neutral site game, the international game just becomes a neutral site game. And then you still get eight home games and eight away games, which I think can save a lot of pain for a lot of teams that do have to play that international game that can fall in a very inconvenient place within the season. Yeah. I mean, that that's very smart because then if you don't have an international game, you're essentially getting the benefit of selling an extra game versus fans the way it's interpreted now is you are losing a game if you have an international game so like i said so like like you just said ross with that adjustment in the schedule you also add this little tweak in there and that's what kind of makes it all uh all come together so yeah i mean i like all of it but unfortunately we're not in the negotiating room so i don't think it's going to come to fruition right right it'd be interesting to see exactly what does happen good so one thing i would add though you know people talk a lot about you know dialing back the preseason going back to three games going back to two games I would say that I do think there is a give and a take with that. Obviously, you're preserving uh, guys' bodies, but I think at the same time, you're um, costing yourself some much-needed development time, particularly for uh, teams that are you know, really about bringing in young and developing guys and getting those game reps. And you know, I don't know if, if joint practices will do enough to make up for that. And so I, I do think that, you know, the idea that, you know, reducing the preseason, I think, does have its benefits, but I do think it does have some of its costs. And one of the potential outcomes could that be that we might wind up seeing is that teams get off to a much rockier start in the regular season just because they don't have those quote-unquote tune-up reps that they would normally get in August during the preseason. So I, I do think that is an obstacle that, you know, will have to be sort of worked out and sort of what are the pros and cons of that. Because again, even though you're adding a game, you know, 17 games is not a high number of games. And if you get off to a slower start than usual, because you're still getting into your groove and going into, you know, week three, week four, because 
of, of, of a Larry limited preseason and particularly in, in David's scenario where you got, you know, two or three weeks off before the regular season and you're just practicing and whatnot. Um, you know, I do think, you know, if you wind up getting off to a slow start and that costs you several games to start a season, you know, your, your season's kind of potentially can get thrown away because you started a little slower than you expected. So I think while most people generally favor in reducing the size of the preseason, I kind of feel like, you know, I wouldn't necessarily go too far in that direction with any of the, some of these proposals because I do think the preseason does have value, particularly when it comes to younger players. Now, if you're a veteran team, then it's not that big a deal, but we know that there's only a, really a handful of teams out there that sort of fit that bill, and, and those preseason reps are valuable to the bulk of the 90 guys that you bring into your roster each and every summer. So that would be the caveat that I would add. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you, Aaron. I'm, I'm somebody that is a fan of the preseason. I like what it provides in terms of opportunity for development and just the look that you get to actually see these players that maybe stood out in training camp and were training camp darlings, but maybe don't have the opportunity to perform or don't perform as well under the lights and at full speed or that perform better full speed than they do, you know, in, in pads without, you know, full contact. And so it's a really, really good point in terms of, and a good case for maintaining the preseason and just giving people an opportunity because it really does become a part of what you know settles some people's future and their opportunity in the league. Uh, a couple of the other things that we've heard that you know they, they, they've, they've talked about with the CBA is the opportunity or the potential of flexing Monday night games, as well as Sean Payton, who works with the uh, competition committee, even though he says that committees are useless. He said that uh, there is the potential of adding some technology to the footballs to help make spotting the ball a more accurate process to eliminate the human error. Do you see any values in uh, either of these ideas for your teams as well, or for really just for the NFL? Well, I'll say that as far as the Monday night thing goes, I watched maybe one Monday night game this past year. I think the, the quality of Monday night games has been particularly down these last couple of seasons mm -hmm. and um you know that one game happened to be the one that the Falcons were participating in and so that tells you something maybe that tells you something about me but I I think if you can get better quality games on Monday night football rather than you know we find out you know midway through the season oh it's it's the Jets versus the Browns and we thought going into the year that would be a compelling matchup and now we're just looking at it like these are two bad football teams and who cares about this or, or whatever the case may be if having the potential ability to flex better games into Monday night and having double headers or whatever the case may be produces better football. I'm for it. Obviously I think there's probably some logistical hurdles that you would have to overcome. I think that could potentially inconvenience fans who are making travel plans for Sunday and then finding out, Oh, it's been flexed to Monday or the, the opposite is true. So, you know, I'm in favor of it as a football fan, but as someone who might have to, you know, go to many of these games and cover them or just to observe them as a fan. Um, you know, I don't know, but if, if it winds up putting better football on the field, um, then I, I guess I can't be too much against it. Yeah. I'll, I, I agree with what Aaron said. He, he's absolutely right. There's a lot of logistics here. You know, I was reading the piece on pro football talk and they brought up some good points. You know, the, the biggest the biggest issues they'd have to figure out would be, you know, along the lines of uh, booking hotel rooms for the players, you know, and, and for the fans because they're obviously making these travel packages. I mean, you're you're set in these days because I, I guess that because that seems like the biggest reason why 
there wasn't Monday flexing because it's easy to, you know, keep a game on a, on a Sunday, just, you know, move the time. I mean, you know, that changes up your travel a little bit if you're going from like a one o'clock game to an eight o'clock, but that's much different than taking a one o'clock Sunday afternoon game and moving it to eight o'clock Monday night, you know? So now, now these fans got to be like, okay, I either got to try to change my hotel or book it for another night. Uh, makes it tough on the players. And it, it really changes, you know, it, it could change up your whole week process because, you know, you go, you can go into it thinking you have a couple Sundays in a row and then two weeks before this game, you find out it's a Monday night and now all of a sudden you got to change up your practice schedule. So there's a lot of, a lot of issues they've got to work out, but um, it's like the, the article said too on PFT. Uh, I think it said along the lines of like, you know, if there's enough money involved, then, they'll figure it out because of course you know money talks so if if they can get those kinks worked out then yeah I mean I'd be for having having better games because I agree I'm I really didn't watch Monday Night Football but I'll say too like the problem with Monday Night Football also is not necessarily the quality of the games it's the quality of the announcer and I think we Thank we're you. all in agreement which one I'm talking about in particular because i don't mind joe joe tessator I, I think he's pretty good but i think i speak for a lot of people when i say that uh his partner in crime is not the best choice i mean the the pinnacle of this season was the playoff game that they called between the bills and the texans and it's late in the game the bills are driving trying to win the game they have third and ten and Booger comes out and says they should run a draw, get a couple yards, and then spike it. It's third and ten. Awesome. And you're telling me to run a draw for a couple yards and then spike it on fourth down. What, what, awesome. Like, did he th- like did he think the draw was going to go for twelve yards and then they get, they'll get a first down and spike it? Like, what? Like, oh my goodness gracious! Like, I could not believe. Oh, and then, and then the, uh, during Super Bowl week, they have, and I don't know if you guys saw this, this was one of the most awkward interviews I've ever seen, but Booger is on first take with Max Kellerman, and they have Christian McCaffrey on, and they're literally sitting oh, right yeah. with Christian McCaffrey, and basically saying, you know, Booger turns to him and says, you know, you're the most complete back in football, but I'd rather have Ezekiel Elliott, because I'd rather have someone that can pound the rock, even though Christian McCaffrey was one of the leading rushers last season, but that, that's besides the point. And him and Max are going back and forth arguing about running backs with Christian McCaffrey sitting right there. Like, are, are you kidding me? Like, are, are we really going to do this? So, listen, get me somebody like Lewis Riddick or Peyton Manning or whoever. Get them in the Monday night booth. Get Booger all the way out of there. So, yeah, it's a mix of, the quality of the games, because, yeah, there were obviously some games that were stinkers, but there there were some pretty good ones. But it's a mix of that, and it's a mix of the announcers. Well, you know, uh, I mean, there, there's a third dynamic to this whole thing that I think, I don't know, I might be going out on a limb here, but just to, just to cover all the other stuff. So I, I like the idea of flexing Monday night to get better matchups just because Monday night football is kind of an institution. And just going back to the tradition, I would hate to see Monday night football essentially become a thing in the past. Um, but like you guys have talked about entertainment, you know, value prod, uh, the, the product itself, the presentation value 
it used to be, you know, Monday Night Football was kind of ahead of its time. Like I remember, you know, it had like the intro song and nobody was really doing that or at least having that type of, you know, introduction to their show. Well, now a lot of people do that stuff. We see, you know, you got halftime music where there's basically a concert during halftime. I mean, it's, you know, ESPN or ABC or whoever, uh, Monday Night Football really just has not stayed ahead of the times when it comes to the presentation package. And if you're going to get people to dedicate an evening during the week uh, to, to watching your product, you, you kind of need to, to be able to do those things. Um, people block off their entire Sunday to watch football, but people don't block off their entire Monday to watch football because your team that you're already invested in isn't always playing on Monday night. So the product itself has to be something that draws people. Um, talk about the Super Bowl. We had we had Paige Demakos on, on the Lockdown Bucks podcast shortly before the Super Bowl, and she's deeply tied into all kinds of media markets. And the reason there's such an uptick in people watching the Super Bowl over just your average Sunday game or your average uh, football weekend isn't because the football game is better. It's because of all the other stuff that goes into it. Like people wonder why Shakira and JLo are the halftime show. What kind of football fan, you know, does your average football fan want to see Shakira and JLo? The halftime show is not for the average football fan. The Super Bowl is for the average football fan. The halftime show is for the other people who are going to come because they want to see Shakira and JLo do a little mini concert. Uh, you have people who watch the Super Bowl because of the commercials. Like they just want to see the new commercials that come out of Super Bowl. I know it's lost its luster a little bit, but there are still folks out there who just watch to see the new commercials. So things like that, innovations like that, that need to keep uh, Monday Night Football fresh. Booger is, is good at a lot of things. Live broadcast commentary is not one of them. And someone needs to find him a new job. I'm not saying he needs to get fired. They need to find him a new role at the network. I don't know, put him behind a desk. Maybe I, I didn't see the interaction with Max Kellerman. Find somebody he's got chemistry with, you know, put him on one of those shows. Like Shannon Sharp. Listen, I love Shannon Sharp. You know, I, I spent a lot of my years in Colorado. He was one of my favorite Broncos uh, as I was coming up through my teenage years. I would hate to hear that dude broadcast a live game just because the way he his his, his language or the way he speaks does not work for live broadcast commentary. Um, so, you know, he's just another example of that. But networks are obsessed with putting players on their broadcast because they do bring a unique perspective, and I appreciate that. But it's almost like they'd rather just have a player, whether it's a good player broadcasting, you know, from a broadcast style, than have a non-player, you know, in the broadcast booth. And I think that's a real dangerous trend that we're that we're seeing. That's why you have guys like Matt Millen in the booth. That's why you have guys like Booger McFarland in the booth when. There are probably other qualified journalist students, you know, media students, whatever out there who could do an even better job, who don't necessarily have the on-field experience, but the broadcast would actually be a better product. Um, but, you know, another thing I've seen tied to this whole thing is Tony Romo. I would love Tony Romo on Monday Night Football. How does he compare and contrast to Joe Testator? How would that, you know, how would that relationship work? I don't know. That's something they would have to screen test and, and all that other crap. Um but I think the the final dynamic that that a lot of these network execs or these league execs are missing is the fact that Americans work more hours a week than ever before right now. So when you talk about a good chunk of your your watch your viewing population having Monday night football start at 8:30 or 7:30 at night, if you're going to dedicate 3 to 4 hours of your night to watching that game, sacrificing sleep, I mean there there are fans on the East Coast that can't even watch the first half because they've got to be up six hours after the first half ends to go back to work. So when your team isn't playing or your team is playing, but they're one in six and they're playing, 
are you really going to dedicate that time to to what you're doing to what this 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 television show is bringing and i don't think there are i think more and more of our population our society is choosing to go to bed and prepare for their next day uh of, of work than staying up to watch two teams that they really don't want to see play and i understand the matchup thing but honestly guys like Week 15, if the Chiefs and Broncos are playing on Monday Night Football and the winner takes over first place in the AFC West, for those of you who live on the East Coast, is that going to be compelling enough for you to stay up and watch the whole game? Me? I'm probably going to watch the first quarter or so and go to bed. And I'll watch the rest on Game Pass later in the week or I'll DVR it or I'll just catch up on Twitter because I have no horse in the race. I don't know how you guys feel. But if you're not on the West Coast and that game's not starting at 5.30 in the afternoon and ending at 8.30, 9 o'clock, that's an investment that you have to put in that's a little bit extra and the networks need to go that extra mile to earn that time. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I mean, our access to what happened the night before is now far greater than it was 10, 15 years ago where people, you know, it's where it was an event, right? Uh, appointment viewing was a thing. Now we can jump on YouTube and see essentially the entire game in, you know, uh, 10 minutes of highlights, or we can go to Game Pass and we can watch the entire game and see every single play in about 45 minutes uh, on the next day or later on in the evening if we wanted to, if it's an afternoon game. And so you have the option on the East Coast of either staying up and potentially, you know, potentially risking some danger in terms of your lack of sleep and having to drive to work the next morning or however it is that you commute or watching or you know getting some rest and then not taking that chance for a team or a pair of teams that you don't really care about i think you're gonna take the option of just going to bed and then catching up on it the next day especially with how easy that is to do nowadays uh on the uh, so i completely agree with you guys i mean i'm down with the idea of flexing to make the games more entertaining but i don't know how much it's actually going to affect viewership around the country it'll be great for the markets that are in playoff contention at that time so does that end up being what is the deciding factor right because there's a difference between the new orleans saints and their market if the if the saints are in playoff contention and there's a big monday night game and let's say the you know los angeles rams in their market or the you know the new las vegas raiders in their market or the new york giants in their market if they're in playoff contention late in the season so does that end up becoming a factor for which games get flexed late in the season we would have to see uh, on the on the making spotting the ball more accurate thing i'm down for whatever eliminates human error obviously as a saints fan and somebody that covers the saints i'm all about eliminating human error as much as possible. All right. So we're going to wrap up. <laughs> Imagine that, right? Uh, all right. We're going to wrap up today's episode and the final episode of the ultimate divisional crossover here in just a moment. We're going to go around each other's teams and talk about two players, one a free agent this offseason and one no holds barred that we would take from the team to add uh, to our squad. So we got that coming up for you right here on this ultimate divisional crossover here on the lockdown podcast network your team every day all right y'all let's celebrate a little bit of uh, valentine's day here and have some fun with this episode this has been very fun but let's 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 take the gloves off a little bit and let's steal from each other for a little bit so it's it's valentine's day so we want to talk a little bit about what players we love 
from each team. Um, David, how about we start with you on this one? If you want to go around and talk about which players you would steal from each team, one free agent and one player, just kind of no holds bar that you could just rip away from the grasp of every fan within that fan base, <laughs> please uh, take it away and let us know who you would add to your bucks. Yeah, definitely. So the player, so I'll start with the Saints and the player that I'm taking off the Saints roster uh, is tackle Ryan Ramchick. Um, the, the Buccaneers need some offensive line help. I don't know if this pushes Donovan Smith off the Buccaneers cliff, Aaron, but either way, they need some offensive line help at one of the tackle positions. And I feel like Ryan is, is a guy that can come in and, and obviously pr- provide a immediate boost to that unit. And then the free agent that I would have the Buccaneers sign in this scenario is is Teddy Bridgewater, which I'm sure everybody saw that coming. Um, if anybody wants an honorable uh, honorable mention, it would be Anyamata. What's the first? I think it's, is it David? David Anyamata? Yeah. Yeah. David Anyamata. So if you want me to go away from the quarterback, Jameis Winston conversation, then then throw David Anyamata in that slot uh, for the for a Saints free agent there. And just I like the youth, I like the the potential and then the depth that he would provide to that Buccaneers defensive front. Uh, from the Falcons, Aaron, I'm stealing Keanu Neal from you. Um, taking him off of your roster. You can't have him anymore uh, back there. And then I would sign Vic Beasley. And I know Falcons people are, are probably going to have a mixed reaction to that. I don't know how many people love him or hate him. I know he's been up and down in Atlanta, but I think that with the defense that the Buccaneers have with Todd Bowles, I think Vic Beasley could could produce pretty well in that Buccaneers defense. From Carolina, Bill, I'm, I'm, I'm stealing the pride of Castle Rock, Colorado. Christian McCaffrey is coming on, coming to Tampa and then I'm going to sign Trey Boston um, in the free agent market off of off of Carolina's roster. Um, again, we we talked about earlier this week that the Buccaneers have some some needs in the, in the back end of their defense. I like Trey Boston. I liked him when he was leaving Los Angeles. I wanted the Bucks to kind of pursue him. They didn't. Now he's coming available again, possibly if the if the Panthers and he can't agree to a deal. So if he does hit the open market again, I'd like to add him to Tampa's roster. Nice. All right, Aaron. Let's jump over to you, man. Who would you steal from each team to add to the Falcons? Um, you know, I'll, I'll start in alphabetical order, starting with the Carolina Panthers. Uh, if I was going for a free agent, I, I would probably take Bruce Irvin. He was briefly with the Falcons back in 2018. The Falcons needed another sort of pass rusher to replace uh, David's boy, Vic Beasley. And, um, you know, a month ago, I would have picked Luke Keekley to steal from the, the Panthers. Obviously, he retired. I, I, I did sort of a, a tribute of Keekley on Locked on Falcons and, and talked for five minutes about how much I enjoyed watching him play and, and sort of how sad I would see to see him go. At least one of my Locked on Falcons listeners did not enjoy that, provided that feedback. But nonetheless, I am a big Luke Keekley fan, will always be a Luke Keekley fan. But since he's no longer on the table, you know, I'm going to talk about the guy we talked about yesterday's podcast, Christian McCaffrey, um, just a dynamic athlete, been a big fan of McCaffrey since his day at Stanford. Uh, thought he was going to be a, a force in the NFL. He's lived up and, and you know, lived up and exceeded those expectations of mine and uh, certainly would be a, another asset in the plethora of weapons that the Falcons have on their roster. Moving on to the New Orleans Saints, um, you know, similar picks. Alvin Kamara, the running back, uh, to me, one of the funnest players to watch in this league with his ability as a receiver and a runner's contact balance and the versatility that he brings to the table, similar to McCaffrey and whatnot, would be a, a great force uh, in this Falcons offense. And I'm going to take David Onyemata as well um, from that Saints defensive line as a free agent that I would scoop up and add a running mate next to Grady Jerry. He's been a solid 
piece for the Saints team beside Sheldon Rankins and others in recent years, and I think would be a welcome addition in Atlanta. And continuing on that theme, I'm going to take another pass rusher from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as far as a free agent is concerned in Shaq Barrett, who I thought the Falcons and really one of the Falcons to sign last offseason because I thought he was going to be one of the biggest sleepers in free agency. The, the Bucs were able to scoop him up. He wound up leading the NFL in sacks. Um, exceeding my expectations, but I, I did think he was going to be an exceptional player when he got an opportunity, leaving sort of Von Miller's shadow in Denver, and he would be the guy that I would want to sort of lure to Atlanta um, now that he's coming off of that all-pro season. And the player that I will um, take just in general is the, the star of the um, Buccaneers offensive line, and you know he's good because he's had to – been several years playing next to the, the incomparable Donovan Smith and has looked good despite that <laughs> fact. And, and that's uh, Ali Marpet. And, uh, you know, the Falcons have a, a major hole at that left guard spot right now. And Ali Marpet would sort of slide in there and, and immediately be an impact player for this Falcon team. So he's one of the more underrated guards in the league. And it's one of the few players that I've seen go toe to toe against Grady Jarrett and really uh, marginalize him in, in multiple games over these last couple of years. So certainly a, a difference maker potentially for the Falcons. Every Buccaneer fan listening just got really happy with you, Aaron, for giving Ellie Marpet some outside of Tampa, Florida love. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, Bill, tell us what you would do for the Panthers here. Starting with the Falcons, I think we're going to pluck some of the defensive linemen here. I'll start with Vic Beasley in free agency. He was a guy, uh, I talked about him a little bit this week as, you know, a guy that maybe a change of scenery can do him well and uh, coming over to the Panthers, he can be, you know, even part of a rotation. He'll work opposite uh, Brian Burns, so some of the pressure would be awesome. I think I think it would be a, a nice duo there between Brian Burns and Vic Beasley and just add more pass rush to this Panthers defense because that's definitely, you know, another area that they could just use some extra bodies is on the edge. And then on that same token, we'll go inside. Uh, if there's a player I'd, I'd like to pluck from the Falcons, it'd be Grady Jarrett. I touched a few times this week that the Panthers need some help uh, along the defensive line. They they need some, some new defensive tackles, and they don't get much better than Grady Jarrett. So I would love to have him in the middle of that uh, that defensive line, and then you have him with Vic Beasley and Brian Burns on the edge, and then all of a sudden you, you've got some guys that collectively can really cause havoc with opposing opposing offenses because you can't really single single out one of the guys if you do or you know you could or I should say you can't really focus too much on one of the guys because if you do then you're leaving one of the others open you know you tried focusing a lot on Grady Jarrett and you got Brian Burns coming at you so those would probably be the two guys I'd pluck from the Falcons uh the Saints I mean you know the easy answer obviously would be Michael Thomas as far as any player I'd like to pluck, but I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to attack the cornerback position. I think we're going to go with, uh, with Marshawn Lattimore. I think the, the Panthers would really love to have just a, a top notch cornerback there. And if they can get a guy, if they'd be able to get a guy with the, the, the talent of Marshawn Lattimore, then that would solve so many problems. I think with, with this defense, because that was, let's face it. The secondary was one of the biggest question marks on the uh on the Saints offense or, or excuse me yeah the Saints on the Panthers offense 
so Marshawn Ladmore definitely be a guy I would I would pluck away. I also considered going like with what David said with uh, with Ryan Ramchick because offensive tackle, you know, if they can get uh, a book a real nice bookend guy, then absolutely they would uh, you know it would give them so much flexibility on the offensive line. As far as uh, guys that are going to be free agents, I mean, you know, Vaughn Bell's out there, and again, it's all about. Uh, improving that secondary with uh, with Trey Boston being a free agent and Eric Reed getting up there. So Von Bell would not be a bad option if, if they can get him in there. That would definitely, uh, I think it would certainly improve the, the offense there. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater would certainly be an option too if you decide to go away with Cam Newton. But I think those would be the two guys I'd pick from the Saints, both in their secondary, Marshawn Lattimore and Von Bell. And then with Tampa Bay, I mean, I – I don't know how you not pick Shaq Barrett, at least from a Panthers perspective. Again, edge rusher, you can never have too many of them. And Shaq Barrett in what was a prover year really came out strong. Like like we mentioned before, he led led the league this season in sacks. So uh, I would I think Panthers fans, if they had the opportunity to get Barrett, would absolutely love to absolutely love to bring him in, no question. And then I'll go with the receiver here. I mean, you know. Kind of take your pick, Mike Evans or Chris Godwin. Uh, like I said, I'm personally a, a big fan of Chris Godwin. And no matter what, you match up one of those guys or you, or you pair him with DJ Moore, then all of a sudden you're stretching the field almost all over the place. And then wh- whoever you have a quarterback just has so many options to throw to. But I'll also throw out OJ Howard because, I mean, I like Ian Thomas, but. You know, the question with Ian Thomas is uh, the consistency. Can he uh, can he stay consistent and be that focal point at the uh, at the tight end position? But I mean, you can never argue with a guy like O.J. Howard with the talent that he has and uh, just just the dynamics that that he brings to the offense. So I think he'd be a I think that'd be an underrated thought to to grab from the Buccaneers would be O.J. Howard. Those are nice picks as well. Uh, all right. So for the Saints here, uh, I'm going to start off with the Bucks. Uh, I think that the Saints could use some linebacker help. And what better place to grab linebacker help than from LSU? I would grab Devin White away from the Bucks and put him in the black and gold for sure. Bring him back to Louisiana. Let him be where he needs to be and let him learn right beside a guy like Demario Davis, uh, somebody that he'll definitely learn a ton from, be a very dynamic partner with throughout the next couple of seasons. And then eventually when Demario Davis either doesn't resign with the Saints or ends his career, you know, decides to hang it up, then I'll, I'll obviously Devin White shifts right into that position there. I think that they would be a really, really good tandem to have. Uh, as for a Bucks free agent that I would like to see the Saints go after, we talked about him a couple of episodes episodes ago it's Brashad Perryman just somebody that has the ability to stretch the field that has you know a little bit more of a diverse piece of uh, sort of skill sets than Ted Ginn Jr somebody that can make some catches over the middle as well so and somebody that can contribute and has shown that they can contribute even when they have a guy that you know is throwing 30 interceptions a season and he's still racking up over 600 receiving yards and a few touchdowns as well. So I really like what Brashad Perryman would be able to bring to the Saints. If I'm jumping over to the Falcons, I'm going back to LSU. I'm going back to linebacker. I'm taking Deion Jones. He's been a Drew, he's been a Drew Brees killer for quite a while. And so it's kind of two. 
twofold in this way. Uh, I don't have to watch the Saints play against them, and I get to see him play with the Saints. And again, sort of the same uh, type of structure with him and Demario Davis getting to learn from it eventually take over for him. And then from the Falcons, if I'm going to take any player that I can just uh, that I can grab that is a, a free agent, this might come as a surprise to people, but I'm going and I'm returning a former saint because of the fact that you've seen Sheldon Rankins deal with injuries over the past few seasons and throughout his career. And then you've also got David Onyemata, who's going to be a free agent this offseason. If you can't get him to stay because maybe one of the other NFC South opponents assigned him away, bring Tyler Davison back to New Orleans. He played very well for the Saints there, was great in run stopping, not a big time pass rusher, although he has shown some improvement in that or has shown flashes in that part of his game. But with the Saints, their number one MO is to eliminate the run game. Tyler Davison did well for them with that at one point bring him back and let him refill his role and continue to work uh with ryan nielsen in the uh in the along the defensive line and then from the panthers i'm going defensive line again but i'm going edge rusher this time i'm gonna take the young brian burns away i know y'all just drafted him bill i get it i understand but that doesn't matter this is a free-for-all I'm not worried about your feelings. I'm taking Brian Burns away, and I'm adding him to this pass rushing rotation. You have Cam Jordan, who's ultra-reliable and has been absolutely outstanding, getting better and better every year. It looks like coming off of a year with 15 and a half sacks. Marcus Davenport looked to be getting better, but suffered yet another injury that took him out for a substantial amount of time. You get another young pass rusher in there that can be rotational opposite uh, Cam Jordan or can line up beside Cam Jordan when they bounce him inside on NASCAR packages. It's a really, really good look for them. And then if I'm taking any of the free agents from the Carolina Panthers, I'm looking at Jarius Wright. And I know that that's a name that not a lot of people would look at, but I know the Saints were interested in him when he was a free agent a couple of years ago. He ended up getting a one-year contract offer from the Saints, took the two-year with the Carolina Panthers, which I think is a very well-educated decision, but he's becoming a free agent this past season, coming off of injury as well. But give the Saints an opportunity to grab somebody that can operate out of the slot and then go to the draft for somebody that can operate opposite Michael Thomas. Really like the opportunity for Jarius Wright to be able to rebuild his career, much like a former Panther almost did when he looked really good, Ted Ginn Jr. in 2017, but maybe be a little bit more reliable uh, over the course of time in that he is a much, much younger wide receiver. So those are my selections from the rest of the NFC South. Gentlemen, this has been a lot of fun, and it's great, great, great to be able to close this off on a Valentine's Day like this and be able to share some love about players from other teams that could impact the teams that we cover. Before we wrap up, take a moment, share any final thoughts before we wrap up today, and, of course, let the people know where they can find you. Well, I will say this, guys. I really appreciated talking with you guys all week long, and I look forward to doing this again later in the offseason. However, I will have to say I think it's very audacious of you guys to disrespect that man, Booger McFarland, as you did. What other broadcast <laughs> could possibly two times on live television draw phallic symbols that if that's not great broadcasting type of stuff then i don't know what it is so i am firmly on team booger more phallic symbols on live television on monday night football i'm definitely in favor of that uh, it's just great entertainment he's an entertainer he is an icon so go team booger if i'm standing on an island in that take, then so be it. I will happily do so and show that man some love on this Valentine's Day. I love it. I love it. That's so funny. I completely forgot he did that, but that is true. Maybe it, maybe we're looking at this all wrong. Maybe it is Booger McFarland, the greatest of all time, Telestrator. Yeah, that's right. <laughs>
and I can just see it now. Um, I can already hear the fans yelling at me for not taking one of the linebackers to replace Luke Keekley. So here you go. Yes, I I do agree. I would take uh I would take Dion Jones or uh or Devin Bush to uh to replace Luke Keekley. So there you go. I, I I can already hear why isn't he taking the linebacker? Luke Keekley literally just retired. What are you talking about? It's like yeah, well you're right. So yeah, there you go. There's your linebacker. <laughs> Yeah, and same for me. It's been a blast. Uh, you guys know, most of our listeners know, James usually spearheads the crossovers, and for and more of them than not, I'm not able to to attend or participate. So this has been great. I talk to you guys all year on Twitter and, and don't get to spend as much time talking to you guys in person or over the mic, as it were. So this has been a great experience. Uh, shout out to everybody who's listened to all these episodes, and thank you guys so much for that all during the season, during the off season, uh, it, It's been great. And, of course, if you want to check out what I'm writing, head over to buckstation.com. If you want to talk about football, you can hit me up at DH82 underscore bucks. Excellent. Thanks, guys. Don't forget to check out Aaron Freeman at Falk fans on Twitter. And then, of course, Bill at Bill Rossetti. Y'all want to share your your Twitter handles as well so people can find you? Yeah, I'm Falk fans, F-A-L-C-F-A-N-S. Get, um, you know, chicken wing takes in addition to Falcon takes <laughs> on, on, the, on Falcon's podcast. You know, try to have some fun this offseason because it's uh, going to be an interesting one for the Falcons. So don't take it too seriously. So you guys can check me out there. Excellent. All right. Thanks, guys, very much for a very fun week. We're back to regularly scheduled programming next week. Everything, it'll just be us all by our lonesomes, except for David, of course. It'll be David and Jason. I'm sorry, David and James. But uh, thanks, everybody, so much for taking the time to stick with us throughout this week and to be here, uh, all of you uh, here with us all throughout this. Thank you very much, everybody, for tuning in here at the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, there you guys have it. Uh, wrapping up the ultimate divisional crossover week. It's been a fun week for us, for the four out of the five hosts of the lockdown podcast network. Of course, the co-host with David on lockdown bucks, James Jarko due to scheduling issues was not able to join us uh, when we were recording these uh, episodes over the course of this past week, but it was a lot of fun. Hopefully we'll be able to catch James when we do it again. And that is something that we on the network are sort of planning to do. Uh, when that will be is sort of up in the air. And that's something that we will certainly be coming up with after we sort of commiserate on sort of how the week went and what we learned from it and how we can improve it and sort of the timing of doing it later. But I believe tentatively it'll probably be sometime after the draft during the summer uh, when a lot less of things are going, not going on uh, with around the league and whatnot. And so we can get a whole week of content out of this uh, moving forward, potentially again, um, which I'm always in favor of. And I've gotten a lot of feedback from you guys so far in a week and hopefully Hopefully we'll continue to get that feedback. You know, when you guys hit me up on Twitter or send me emails or um, via Facebook or, or whatever the case, however you watch it, you know, and if you think there's ways that we can improve the, the, the content on these ultimate crossovers, I can certainly, uh, you know, push that up the food chain and, and maybe we can get your suggestions heard. So I welcome all the feedback that you guys provide positive or negative uh, certainly will be helpful. Um, you know, but you've guys provided some of you have already provided some very positive feedback on this. And, and certainly I will bump that up the food chain um, moving forward. But again, as I said, it's been a lot of fun to talk football with these guys over these last couple of days and, and spend a lot of time with Ross, David and, and Bill. Um, 
talking football and, you know, it, you know, it's just doing this podcast solo, I, I guess is what I'm the point I'm trying to get to. And I, I apologize for rambling on already, you know, basically an hour long episode, but, um, you know, doing this podcast solo, it's fun to talk football with other people. Like I enjoy the guests that we have. I enjoy the fan talks that we do, but you know, getting back in the habit of, of, you know, co-hosting a show and, and the back and forth rather than, you know, 35 minutes of me just talking, uh, was a, a nice change of pace. So I, I, I certainly enjoyed it. And, um, yeah, I don't know what else to say. So <laughs> we will be back on Monday with another mock draft Monday. We got some mock drafts that we probably should catch up on. Um, and you know, we'll, we'll see sort of what the draft network has in store for us, uh, with their most recent mock drafts. Cause we got this past week's mock drafts and, uh, you know, it's probably going to be more, <laughs> this is no shade mid, but it's probably just going to be more Kalevon Chason and AJ Epinesa. So we'll see if we can find a mock draft that's, you know, switching things up. I don't know how much, you know, I got, I got so many Kalevon Chason and AJ Epinesa takes, but I don't want to necessarily throw them all out in February. Like, you know, we probably going to, we're going to be doing this all season long. So uh, I got to pace myself is, is, is what I'm the point I'm trying to make. Um, so we'll see sort of what interesting wrinkles the draft network has for us on a mock draft Monday. That will be sort of coming up um, on Monday's episode, but uh, I hope you guys have an, a great weekend. I hope you, you know, have a fun Valentine's day. If, if you're, you know, the type of person that's anti Valentine's day and there's a lot of you out there, you know, I don't necessarily have a strong take either way on the holiday. You know, it is what it is. Um, you know, I hope you enjoy hating on Valentine's day or whatever, <laughs> whatever makes you happy, whatever floats your boat, I guess is, is the point I'm trying to get across. So, all right, I, I'm done talking at this point in time, guys. So, um, enjoy your weekend. I hope you guys enjoyed this week. I did. And uh, we'll be back on Monday with the Mock Draft Monday, talking more draft stuff. So we'll get back to our regularly scheduled Lockdown Falcons podcast. You are daily Atlanta Falcons podcast here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Lockdown Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.